Good morning. I grew up in a fairly typical Midwestern home. My mom and dad were married to each other, had stayed married to each other. Every night we sat down around the kitchen table with my four sisters and my mom and dad and had dinner together. And we ate in the 60s and 70s what was pretty typical American fare at that point in time. Uh, a lot of roasting potatoes, uh, some veggies. We always, uh, most always had red meat. Uh, we had uh, meatloaf and mashed potatoes. That was a staple. Whenever my mom really wanted to kind of expand our palate, uh, we had pork chops. Um, you know, it, it was pretty basic foundational American food for the 60s and 70s. When things got really crazy, when we decided that we were going to have ethnic food at my house, we had spaghetti. All right. Sometimes Hungarian goulash, and and if mom was just feeling really wild, we would have uh, lechoy chow mein out of the can with the noodles. Some of you remember that. When I went to college, um, it, w- it was a pretty seamless transition for me food-wise when I went to Cincinnati Christian University because I eat in the, in the school cafeteria. And the school cafeteria's food was a lot like the food that I ate. We had a lot of meat and vegetables and potatoes, that kind of stuff. We, my mom had made a lot of casseroles. We had casseroles at, uh, at college, but it was called shepherd's pie. Uh, you know, just kind of throw everything together and put the breading on top, and, and that was good. Um, so during the time that I was in school, I met, this, uh, I met this beautiful young woman who was from the other side of Dayton that was also going to Cincinnati Christian University. I had grown up outside of, uh, of Dayton. And, um, and my world began to change a bit once we began to date, you know, different perspective. Our senior year, I remember real clearly, Deb said, Deb said to me, hey, um, why don't you come with us to this restaurant we're going to go to tonight on the north end of Cincinnati? And, I, and it was with all the friends that we had. And, and I said, what's the restaurant? And she said, it's Chi-Chi's Mexican Restaurant. And, and I thought, why would anyone want to spend good money to go to a Mexican restaurant? It was, it was just so far out of my realm of possibility. I thought, you know, tacos break, those tortillas, you know, what are those about? I, you know, I just didn't have a clue at all. But Deb asked me, and so I went, and, um, and we get to this restaurant, and I open up the menu, and I'm thinking, they don't even have a stinking hamburger here. Uh, you know, what, what am I supposed to eat here? And finally, I settled on a twice-grilled barbecued burrito from Chi-Chi's. And I took that first bite, and it was like, where in the world have you been all of my life? <laughs> that first taste was incredible. And Chi-Chi's became a regular part of our family together as Deb and I got married. We ate there almost every Sunday when we moved to to Maryland uh, for probably 10 years or so. The first taste, that was getting over over that hurdle, that was a big deal. But but once I tasted it, everything changed. Um, In in about the 12th century... um, in the Jewish community, they began to, to do something that was pretty incredible as they began to teach kids about God's word. When a child would reach three years old, uh, approximately, they would bring him to the rabbi, sit him on his lap, and begin to, and the rabbi would teach him the Hebrew alphabet. 
Um, he would talk about, about the Hebrew alphabet in the 12th century with a slate. And as he showed this child the letters and said them out loud and had the child say them back, he would drizzle honey on the slate. And, and I know that sounds a little gross because it actually worked for them because as that honey was on the slate, the rabbi would read from, um, from Ezekiel 3. Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. A part of the Jewish tradition. And after they would go through the alphabet and the rabbi would talk to this child about God, he would scrape the honey off and drizzle it into the three-year-old's mouth to teach him that learning about God, learning about his word was fun. And, And this concept that when we ingest God's word, it fills us. And changes us. If you got your Bibles, turn to turn to Psalm 19. David David said something that I think is foundational for this series for us, and it it, it gives some life to this whole concept of taste it. David wrote in Psalm 19, verse seven, starting in verse seven, the law of the Lord, Scripture, is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. In this series, over the next 13 weeks, over the next 90 days, we're going we're gonna to kind of do a sprint through Scripture to try and find Jesus throughout the entire story and to figure out and to, to understand God's nature in a greater way. Um, before we get there, there, there I think... It, As we talk about reading God's word, I think that there are some fundamental questions, some fundamental issues that we've got to wrestle with. Because I don't want to assume that everybody knows what they're doing with with the Bible. I don't want to assume that that the issue of whether we can trust the Bible is... um, is settled or not. So let me, let me just go over some principles that kind of get us started in this message and in this series. Uh, the, the first question is this, is the Bible reliable? Can we trust that what we have in our hands is reliable? And the answer to that is yes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on that particular question this morning because it's something that I've talked about before. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were discovered in the, in the 1960s, in 1949, um, they showed that what we have in the Old Testament is consistent, that it's not changed since the first century. That's incredible. The number of manuscripts that we have from the New Testament, the bits and fragments, all the pieces that are there, there, there is more proof for the reliability of what we hold in our hands in the New Testament today than any piece of literature in ancient history. That's it. If you want to know more, text me this week. Shoot me an email. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some, some stuff to look at to, to, uh, to process through that and, and, and examine that a little bit more fully. The second question is this, and, and I think that this is an issue that's a, it's a question for our culture that we wrestle with today. Can you believe in science? Can you, can you, be, can you have a scientific mind and can you trust Scripture? Are, are those two compatible or not compatible? 
And I want to say just as a foundational statement that science and scripture are not incompatible. There are three options as we, as we wrestle with that question. When there's a conflict between science and scripture, one of, one of three things is true. Either science is true and scripture isn't when there's a conflict, or scripture is true and science isn't when there's a conflict, or there's some fundamental underlying issues either to science or scripture that we don't understand about that particular conflict, that we don't grasp and understand, that, we, that we've got to wrestle through and figure out what that is. Science, in order for it to work, don't miss this, in order for science to work, it has to exist in a system that is consistent where, um, where experiments can be done and can be replicated with the same results, Right? You've, you've got to have a controlled environment. You've got to be able to prove over and over and over again that, that this particular thing is true in the scientific world. That can't exist in a system that's governed by chance. Does that make sense? A surgeon, when he goes into surgery, has to know that even though there may be some anomalies in a body, even though a body might be falling apart, They've got to know how the circulatory system is designed to work. They've got to know how the skeletal system, how the neurosystem, how the digestive, they have to know that there's consistency in that, in the way that it's supposed to work, so that they can repair when something breaks down. If we lived in a world where our bodies just did whatever they wanted, there could be no surgery. There could be no, um, there could be no repairs done in any of the world around us. An engineer has to know what the properties of the, of the ingredients are, the metals, the, the structure are, when he designs a bridge, they have to know what force they can withstand and how to build that bridge. They have to know that that is consistent over and over again, or any vehicle that went over that bridge, the, the bridge would simply fall apart. Science and scripture are not incompatible. Don't, don't accept that. And where there's conflict drive to that third level to say, okay, what's, what's going on here that I don't understand that I've got to figure out because you can be a scientist and a follower of Jesus that believes in the authority of Scripture without any kind of conflict at all. Uh, third kind of question principle that's, that's there for us that's foundational to this series, Taste It, and that's that there's a theme that has been woven throughout all of Scripture that even though the Bible is made up of 66 books, that there is this theme that goes all the way through Scripture. The theme is this, if I, if I can just say it in real simple words, it's that God created a world so that he could have relationship with his creation. God created a world so that we could be one with him. And when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve uh, took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, the, and they broke that relationship. They broke that trust. God started from the beginning this process of restoration so that he wouldn't have to destroy all of his creation. Understand that, um, we're not going to talk about this this morning, but if you think to the Genesis flood, to to the idea that God said, you know what, the world has become a mess. I'm going to wipe it all out. That's completely God's prerogative because he created a world so that he could have a relationship with us. That was his purpose. And when we messed that up, it was, uh, it was completely God's right to just wipe it out. If, if I, if, uh, I can't do this, but if I could whittle a whistle 
And I whittled that whistle and it looked great, but it never made a sound. I, as the creator, have the ability to take that, that whistle that doesn't whistle and throw it in the fire, right? Because it's not, it's not accomplishing the function for which it was designed. I, I learned this, uh, this, this concept when we lived in Maryland, um, 1996. Um, any Andrew Lloyd Webber fans? Um, a few, oh, Hang out with my family. I say Andrew Lloyd Webber is a genius. He's the guy who wrote uh, Joseph Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, Cats, Phantom of the Opera. Um, in 1996, Andrew Lloyd Webber had, had, um, had written a new musical, and it premiered in Washington, D.C. The name of the musical was Whistle Down the Wind. Um, we lived in D.C., heard that it was premiering, world premiere at National Theater in, in Washington, D.C. And so the, the class that I taught at the church there, which was all college students, we all bought tickets together. You know, we, we shelled out the money and went to National Theater to, to watch Whistle Down the Wind. Um, we sat there. We're up in the cheap seats, you know, because everybody's poor and, and, and just are astounded at the musical, at the story and the music and how great it was. It, uh, it, I think, had a three-week run as the premiere in D.C., and then it was supposed to go to Broadway. So a couple months later, um, I'm thinking, where's Whistle Down the Wind? Because it would be really fun to go see it, you know, uh, in Broadway, at, at Broadway Broadway. And, um, and I discovered that Andrew Lloyd Webber had, that Whistle Down the Wind had not met up to his expectations. And he had, and he had canceled the show. He had he had uh, shelved it, trashed it. it. It has had some production since then, but it didn't meet his standards, and so he got rid of it. Even though I loved it, even though I thought it was great, even though I was enthralled by the whole thing, he said, you know what, this is not what I designed it to be. And he put it away. God has the ability, God has the right to say, my creation has messed up, and I'm just going to get rid of them. That's not what he did. From the beginning of time, We'll look, in a, we'll look in a little bit. From the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, God started this story that lasts all the way through Scripture, a story of restoration, because God said, I can't just throw it all away. I love my creation too much. Um, another concept that, that's critical to this, to this whole series, and, and I want to deal with it head on, Reading the Bible is more than just a good idea. If you've grown up in or around church, you may have thought, yeah, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. Let, let, me, let me lay it out. It's more than just a good idea. If the God who created the universe, if the God who created us has chosen to communicate with us, we need to find out what that communication is all about, Right? If, if, you, if you jump into the science world, the stuff that we hear about all the time, um, NASA and, um, and, and all the people who are associated with the space industry, all the time they're listening to say, is there life out there somewhere else in the universe? If they were to, to discover that there was um, some kind of communication coming to Earth from a distant planet, and they said, eh, you know, that's really cool, we're not going to pay any attention to it. And they didn't seek to decode it. They didn't try to understand it. They didn't try and figure out what the message was that was being sent. We'd, we'd all say, that's crazy. They're trying to communicate with us, and we're not even paying attention. The God 
of the universe wants to tell us about who he is. It's more than just a good idea. We need to, we need to f- understand who he is from his word. Um, just some basic stuff related to that. If you want to understand Western culture and history, if you want to understand American history, if you want to understand the foundations that exist for our country, our nation, you've got to read the Bible because it doesn't make sense without that piece. That piece has impacted who we are as a people for the last uh, 400 years. If you believe that you can't trust the Bible, if that's where you are today, if you would describe yourself as atheist or agnostic, let me challenge you this morning. It, it is, you're absolutely in the right place here, okay? I, I, I want you to know, man, bring on the questions. Go through the process. Absorb this series. But understand this. You can't be intellectually honest with yourself if you dismiss the Bible without ever reading it. If you say, ah, I don't think there's a God if you don't read this piece that's purported to be communication from him about who he is. So if you're an atheist, if you're agnostic, if if you've got all kinds of questions, it is all the more reason for you to dive into scripture and begin to explore what God has been saying. Uh, To not do so, again, it's it's just not, it's not honest. It's like saying, I hate the United States. I I hate the United States because they don't care about people. They only care about rich people. They don't care about poor people. They only care about this or that or whatever. You can't have that opinion and never read the Constitution and Bill of Rights, right? It doesn't make any sense because to understand our nation, you've got to understand those documents that describe what we value and what we stand for. If you're here this morning and you are a a, a person who's trying to follow Jesus, if you're a person who's moving towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, man, you've got to dive into Scripture, it, um, you've, you've got to begin to learn to figure out firsthand what God says. It is not enough. It is not enough to have your communication from, from God be, to be limited to what happens in an hour on Sunday morning through a preacher. It's not enough to, to take God's communication to you through Joel Osteen or Joyce Myers, or Beth Moore, or T.D. Jakes, or any kind of preacher. You've got to have, if you're serious about following Jesus, you've got to have firsthand communication from God, from his word. You have to read it for yourself. You have to taste it, all right? So here's where we are that, that Chris talked about a little bit ago. Our challenge, to, our challenge for this series is for you to start today to read the Bible. I know it's Sunday. Start today to read the Bible. Start that process. You know what? There's no football on today to speak of. The Pro Bowl doesn't count. All right? Uh, So you've got time, right? Start today to read the Bible. There are all kinds of different ways that you can. Um, if, If you've got your phone Take it out for a second. And if you've not downloaded the YouVersion app of the Bible, do that right now. If you do have that, um, I, go ahead and take it out. Look at it. Open up YouVersion. And, and when you bring up that screen, this is, this is what worked for me this morning. It, it says, um, look for a plan. 
find a plan out of you version. There are, there are plans that last five days, plans that last 30 days, plans that last a year. Find a plan there to begin to dive into Scripture and to read for yourself. Um, one of the cool things that you can do with you version is that you can find friends, find other people who also have you version. I'm on there. Look for me. My picture's there. Um, friend me. That, that's fine. And, and when you sign up for a plan, it will say, oh, um, Kumua signed up for a plan. Rick, um, he's, this is what he's reading. And, and, and then it'll send me a message too when Kua finishes his plan. Um, and, uh, and, and so I can celebrate with him. Find a plan that's there in you version. Um, maybe if, if that's not where you, where you are, you just want to, like using a paper Bible, uh, you know, a, a, a physical Bible, um, start, let, let this be your challenge for the next three months. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus. Start with, so you can read them in that order. Start with Mark, it's the shortest one. They're all biographies descriptions of what Jesus did, how he interacted with people. Let that be your plan for the next 90 days. Um, maybe, maybe what you want to do is start today and, and plan on reading the Bible through in a year. Over the next year, figure out uh, what that's going to look like. There's a plan in you version to help you do that, but, but you can do that over the course of a year. Um, one simple thing that you can do to, to uh, dive into scripture is to read five Psalms and one proverb that correspond with each day of the month. So today is the 27th of uh, January. So you read Proverbs 27, and if you multiply out 27 times, uh, times 5, because you're reading five psalms a day, you'd read from Psalm 131 to one, Psalm 135. Um, on the first day of the month, you'd read Psalms 1 through 5 and Proverbs 1. Second day, you'd read Psalms 6 through 10, and Proverbs 2. That's, that's a great plan that will, that will get you involved in Scripture, and God will begin to speak through that. But here's the Mongo challenge, all right? Here's the challenge, and uh, it's to read through the entire Bible in the next 90 days. Whew. Yeah. Now, um, I double dog dare you to read through the Bible in the next 90 days. You may be thinking, uh, is that even possible? You know, do I have to quit my job in order to do that? Um, Here's the deal. If you listen to the audio version of the scripture, it'll take you about between 70 and 75 hours at regular speed. You don't even have to speed it up, okay? So 70 to 75 hours, that's about... Uh, over, 90, over 90 days, that's between 45 minutes and an hour to listen to it for the next three months, straight through Scripture. If you read it, not listen to it, it's going to take uh, an, a person who reads at an average speed between 30 and 40 minutes a day to read all the way through in 90 days. Do you have it? And before you say, ah, I don't think I can do that. That's too much time. How much time do you spend on your phone? A day. The average American spends three hours a day on their phone. Maxine's saying, what? <laughs> um, some of you are saying three, just three hours? Boy. Um, 
Why, why make that challenge to read all the way through Scripture in 90 days besides that it, it corresponds with this series where we're going to preach all the way through uh, Scripture over the next 90 days with a little bit from, from each section that, that we're reading? Think about when you first fell in love uh, with that person that you love. Um, what typically happens when, when a couple begins to date and they begin to get serious is that they're spending hour upon hour upon hour with each other. They're engaged in conversation. They're asking each other questions. And the more they learn about that person, the more time they want to spend with them because it's like this person just gets more interesting by the moment, right? That's the challenge. I, I, I want to encourage you over the next 90 days to dive into Scripture. Whatever the plan is, is great. Now, know that if you, if you take that dare, that double dog dare, right? If you take that dare, and you get behind, Satan is going to be the one who beats you up and says, I'll oh, just give up. It's not worth it. That's the voice of Satan. If it takes you 100 days or 120 days or six months or a year to read all through Scripture and you've not done it before, um, that's a win. That's not a loss. But I want to, I want to encourage you to take that step. Um, it's not, um, this, is, this is not about time. It's, it's not about saying, oh, I, yeah, I want to accomplish this, check it off on my list. It's about discovering who God is. It's about seeing Jesus and that theme of redemption that goes all the way through Scripture. That's why we're given the challenge to taste it, to taste it. Um, one, one, last, one last thing to, just that's in me in this challenge, it, it's this. I know that many of you who have grown up in and around church but never really read the Bible have thought, someday, someday, I want to read all the way through the Bible. The question is, why not now? None of us have any guarantees for the future. But if you've thought, I want to dive into Scripture, I want to learn how to do that, I want to begin to do that, why not when, once you start to read, what do you do? Um, this next sentence, I, I think, is as important as anything I can give you in this message. Before you start to read Scripture, pray a really short prayer. Pray, God, would you speak to me? God, would you speak to me as I read? Because God is faithful and he will answer that prayer. Start there before you ever start to read. God, would you speak to me? Uh, it's important for you to understand how the Bible's put together, um, how it makes sense. Um, the Bible was originally written Old Testament in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek and Aramaic. Everything has been translated from those languages to English to other languages. Uh, that's important to know. So when you see different kinds of Bible, that's different translations that have been done from the same source documents. So it's not a big deal if there are different words here or there. It's just translated differently, but the original, the, the source text is the same. The Bible was written by over 40 authors. The video showed it uh, over 1,500, 1,600 years. There are 66 books in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's 39 books. In the New Testament, there's 27 books. Old Testament is, the, is what was written for the Jews. The New Testament is the new promise, the new covenant that came through Jesus, that theme of redemption. That, that follows through. Every book in the Bible is not the same. It's not the same kind of literature. It's, it's, uh, it, they're different stuff. Um, the, I, I need three volunteers real quickly. 
real quickly. Uh, you don't have to know anything. Come on up. Come on up, Kua. One more. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I want you to do is come over to my little bookshelf here and find a book that you would like to read. <laughs> What's your name? Don Shepard. Don Shepard. What'd you pick? Total Fishing Manual. The Total Fishing Manual. And why did you pick this book? It was the first one on my. <laughs> <laughs> do you want? Do you know how to fish? I do. Uh, do you want to learn how to fish better? So, there are books in the Bible that are like the fishing manual that 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 are teaching how you can increase how you can grow in your skill, how you can understand what you want to do better. Give it up. Jesus was a fisher of men. Good call. Good call. Come on up. What's your name? Karina. Karina what? Karina Boyer. What'd you pick? There's no good card for this. What to say and do when life is scary, awful, and unfair to people you love. So this is, this is a book that's designed to teach you how to interact with other people. Did you know that there are books in the Bible like that? Yeah. So it's, that there's different kinds of literature. This is a little bit different than a fishing manual, right? Different kind of uh, book. Good. Thanks, Karina. Cool. What's your name? Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is my friend Kua. Uh, and what'd you pick? The Trojan War. Why'd you pick it? There were no comic books. <laughs> Good. What do you What do you think the Trojan War is about? Trojans. <laughs> Good call. There's got to be a war. Too. It's, there's got to be a war. Between it's two between two two groups. It's a history book, right? Good. Would you guys give it up for these guys? You can put the books back. No, because they're from the library. Um, in the Bible, there are different kinds of literature. In the Old Testament, the, the first five books, the Torah, start the books of law. They're like law books, like, uh, what do I got here? Um, oh, I lost it. Social Security, pensions, Medicare, government stuff. Good stuff, right? So when you're reading through Scripture and you get to Leviticus and are thinking, ah, it's this kind of literature, right? Don't miss that. Don't think that you're learning uh, necessary. Well, uh, just understand the type of literature that there is. Like uh, Kua's book, the Trojan War. There are books of history in the Old Testament. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings. History that's there. In the New Testament, history books, the book of Acts describes the history of the, of the church in first century. Up here, there's a, there's a, a book of poems by Langston Hughes, a book of poems by Maya Angelou. In, in the Bible, there's poetry, the Psalms, Proverbs, w- wisdom literature, different kind of literature than, than the fishing manual, different kind of literature than a history book. There are books of prophecy that are there, books that look to the future, um, in the Old Testament, prophecies that were made, that were designed to challenge the, the Jewish nation to walk close with God. Understand that there are different kinds of literature in the Bible. So as you read through, you've got to ask, who, was, who wrote this? Who did they write it to? And for what purpose? How does that all fit together? Um, 
Let me, let me uh, Chris mentioned this. Um, he didn't talk about it for, for very long, but if this is all new to you, let me encourage you to sign up for Bible Matters that Chris talked about. It's a six-week class that's designed to help you get a better understanding of how to read Scripture, how to make sense of it, and all the components that are there in Scripture. It starts this Wednesday. Uh, he would love to have you, and he does a, a great, great job with it. Um, let, me jump, let me jump into uh, kind of where we are today. So if you, if you do the 90-day double dog there, right? Um, if, you, if you do that, over the next week, you're going to read Genesis and Exodus. Let me, let me just kind of give you an overview of what's in Genesis and Exodus. Genesis and Exodus start with creation, with God creating the world. It, it then goes on to talk about, uh, about the fall when Adam and Eve sinned and what happened as a result of that. In Genesis and Exodus, you'll find Noah and the flood. In Genesis and Exodus, you'll find the beginning of sin, the beginning of the plan of redemption, the beginning of the Israelite nation, the Jewish people. In Genesis and Exodus, you'll find the beginning, the start of understanding who God is. Really, really important stuff. Specific specific um, uh, descriptions, specific stories, spe- specific accounts of what happened. Adam and Eve, creation, Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've ever heard references about Sodom and Gomorrah, that's in Genesis. Um, Joseph, the, the boy who was sold by his brothers and ultimately became second in command in Egypt, that's in Genesis. Moses. Um, the, the guy who led the nation of Israel out of slavery with Egypt. That's in, that's in Genesis. Uh, uh, that's in Exodus, sorry about that. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues, the, the movement of the Israelite nation out of Egypt um, in, towards the Promised Land. That's all in Exodus. That's what you'd read about over this next week. Let me, let me zero in on, on uh, four truths that I think are there for us today that, that we can really grab hold of. God created the world. We mentioned that. He created the world, um, and he created it so that he could have perfect relationship with with his creation, with with mankind. Adam and Eve messed up. They sinned, and they messed everything up. God has always, from the beginning, had a plan for our redemption. He's always had a plan. So in Genesis 3, when when God is... is, um, delivering out the punishment for what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. He says to the serpent who deceived Eve, Genesis 3, he says, I'll put enmity, I'll put hatred between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Her offspring will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3 is the first picture of what's going to happen through Jesus, because ultimately, Satan's going to think that he destroys Jesus when he kills him on the cross. But Jesus is going to win and destroy Satan because death couldn't hold him. God has always had a plan. And God's plan has always included us. Genesis chapter 12, there's this guy named, guy named Abram, Abraham that, um, that has this faith in God that's incredible. God says to him at the beginning of chapter 12, um, Abraham, uh, go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land that I will show you. God says to Abraham, pick up your stuff, leave where you are, go to this other land. Abraham 
kind of said, uh, where do I go? God said, go that way. And he said, okay, without ever any sense of what the destination would be. And God says this then to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed by or blessed through you. It's that last phrase that I want you to zero in on. All peoples on earth, not just Abraham's descendants, not just the Jews, all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. That means us. God, God's plan has included us from the beginning. Abraham is this man of incredible faith. He picks up his, his, uh, his wife, um, all of his servants, all of his crops, uh, all of his flocks, all of his stuff, and moves to this new land. And in, in Genesis 22, you fast forward, and um, God has, has uh, given Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. He's the son of the promise in their old age when they're 190 years old. Incredible story that you can read about. And in, in Genesis 22, um, God tests Abraham and he says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, and Abraham says, yes, Lord, I'm here. Verse 2 of Genesis 22, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. God says to Abraham, I've given you this promise that all of history is going to be blessed through you. Your descendants are going to impact all people everywhere. But here's what I want you to do. I want to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to put him on altar. I want you to kill him. And Abraham takes Isaac. Abraham says, okay, God, whatever, you're God. Whatever you want is fine. So he takes Isaac. Um, they, they go to the mountain. Um, uh, they prepare everything. They build the altar. They have the wood, they, all the stuff. Um, and Isaac says to Abraham at one point, uh, uh, verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. Isaac says, the fire, the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hear that. God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. God's plan that included us was dependent on a sacrifice that only God could provide. Understand that our sin could only be dealt with by something that God did. What ends up happening is Abraham puts Isaac on the altar. He ties him up, has the fire ready to go. He has the knife and is ready to kill Isaac. And, and God says to Abraham, stop, stop. I know that you trust me. I know that you'll do anything I ask, that you'll be obedient in whatever, in, in, in anything that I ask. But don't kill your son. And there in the bushes, they find a ram that's there that they ultimately sacrifice to God. Verse 16 says this of Genesis 22. Abraham, because you've done this, because you've not withheld your, your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God's plan was dependent on a sacrifice that only he could provide. And today, on January 27, 2019, we are the beneficiaries of that. Our relationship with God exists. That restoration is possible because God allowed it, Jesus. He provided Jesus to take our sins on himself. Don't miss this. As you look for the theme of redemption, God has kept his promise. God has kept his promise to us. God has kept his promise to Abraham, passed all the way down to us. Last week, I, if you were here, I, I drew on the board a kind of a diagram that looked like a hurricane. It had hear and trust and obey. Hear, trust and obey. The challenge for us in this series, taste it, to taste God's word, to begin to just begin to read and, and get that inside us is so that God's word can begin to move in us so that we can hear and we can trust that what God said is true and we can begin to obey when he calls. We can't grow if we don't hear. We can't grow if we don't taste it. You know, um, when, I, when I was sitting in Chi-Chi's, I had an option. And I really did think about this. I thought, I'm here with my friends. I'm here with Deb. I can just drink my Diet Coke and not order anything. I, I can enjoy being with everybody and not eat any of that Mexican food. At that point, I thought, that foul Mexican food, Right? but I tasted it and it changed everything. You can come to church. You can try and follow Jesus. But, you've, but to do it without God's word in your heart, without understanding who he is firsthand, without him speaking to you, it's like sitting in a restaurant and enjoying the company and not eating any of the food. Taste it. Start today. Let's pray. God, help us. Lord, I ask right now that, that you would free your spirit to burn in us a desire to know you more and to read your word and to not get distracted. God, I ask, I ask for a, a cover of protection on everyone who's here, who, everyone who, who watches uh, this online later. God, that, that you would bind Satan and that you would keep him from, um, from derailing us, from, uh, from distracting us, from, from keeping us from your word. All the, all the reasons, all the excuses, all the stuff that we come up with. God, help us to see with clarity that you want to talk to us and for us to listen. God, help us to take that first taste. In Jesus' name we pray.